All right, we're here. Welcome to episode 18 of Versus Mike History. I am your host, Michael History. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, I review music, television, and film, interview guests from all walks of life, and provide social commentary on lifestyle topics. Be sure to like, follow, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you choose to listen. And if we aren't on your preferred platform, let us know, and we'll do our best to change that. Welcome back everybody It's your boy We are here again for another glorious episode Of the greatest podcast That is known to man We here <laughs> um, It's been a week it's been a it's been a nice relaxing week. Um I didn't have to work as much as I usually do. So um I got to chill. I got to think. I got to plan out all my nice little plans for the podcast. I got to actualize some concepts that I've been working on recently. Um, been having conversations about small projects that I want to do, which I'll get into in, um, this week's recap and I feel good, you know, everything's coming together. I feel like I say that a lot, but I'm in a very positive space right now and I'd like to stay there and I'm going to stay there. So Without further ado, I want to shout out to the audience. I want to shout out to all the new li- the new listeners. I want to shout out to all the returning listeners, the men, the women, um, all communities of all kinds. Welcome, welcome to you. Um, we're just going to get into it. Let's 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 start with the recap. What's going on in the world? Uh, I'm not going to get into really any super specific topics, but. Um, I guess it's not even a recap, to be honest. I just it's just announcements. Um, okay, so one of the more important things that I have to tell you guys is that there's a new playlist coming very soon. I just have to get the artwork done for it, and it will be yours. Um, the theme of it is almost summer. I don't know if the title will actually be called. I don't know if the title of the playlist will actually be almost summer, but that's the working theme and title for it so um that's pretty much all i have to give you on that because i don't want to ruin it too much i want to you know save the themes for the rollout and everything like that or the concepts and the visuals and everything like that for the rollout but i just do i do want to let you know that the uh, playlist is coming because it's pretty much done at this point uh you guys voted on the poll that i put on my twitter account about what item i should give away in the giveaway that I am planning and you guys voted on a Supreme doormat. So that's what I'll be giving away. So you guys definitely stay tuned for that as well. 
because I will be giving away Supreme format and somebody will be happy and it will be real and it will be dead stock. So make sure you appreciate it when you get it because I'm not, I want to get in the habit of giving away fly shit. That's what y'all supposed to know me for. Um, lifestyle shit, fly shit, you know, whatever. But let me get, let me take the chip off my own shoulder and continue. Uh, hashtag you ain't black. So the uh, presidential candidates uh, are, well, the only presidential, the, the two presidential candidates, which is, which one is the president and the other is um, a former vice president of the United States. Uh, they're making an ass of themselves on social media. I won't get into the specifics of everything. Well, I'll, I'll say this. So Joe Biden sat with Charlemagne um, in an interview and said something along the lines of, well, if you aren't voting for me, then you ain't black. Basically saying that if you have any type of idea or inkling to vote for Donald Trump this November, then you ain't black. And, you know, it was wrong for all the obvious reasons. And I don't really want to get into it too much because it's just tiring at this point, seeing how this election has gone. And then with COVID affecting everything, um, it's just not looking too promising in November, whichever way it goes. So, but I did want to, I did want to bring that to the attention of my listeners because you guys have a right to, um, know that like, I'm not with all that shit. I'm not. And it was whack. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to voice my opinion on that, but I don't even want to stay on that for too long. So we go and go ahead and get in, get into it with the, uh, design of the week this week. As you guys know, I usually focus on a design, a specific design for the week, and I'll do a little bit of research on it in terms of who created it and when it was created and uh, why, kind of, or the motifs and um, everything it represents. But this week, I switched it up a little bit because I came across some dope designs on Instagram, and um, the designer of the said work is in the middle of creating a series for it. And he hasn't really released anything from that series yet. So all you see is a bunch of previews. And I kind of just wanted to highlight him just because it would only be fair to do that since that since his work isn't specifically showcased. Um, at least not like officially with like um, sizes and creation dates and things like that. But without further ado, um, the designer of the week goes to PJ Harper and PJ Harper is a sculptor of sculptor of lifelike figures with distinct African rooted features. He's currently working on a series of busts that will reflect the, the diversity between them and in the form of busts. And these busts are fire. They look, um, they look lifelike one, they're very precise and pristine. Um, any type of black person that you can think of, uh, any shade or size, really, 
Um, he kind of represents that in his clay figures and he's really amazing at sculpting and I'm going to, you know, do justice with this designer of the week because, um, of how he represents us through his art and I really appreciate it. So shout out to PJ Harper and shout out to his sculptors. Um, and shout out to the project that he's working on that I will double back to highlight once it's all through and yeah for new music i literally only have one thing to talk about so i noticed that gunna's album came out this week um called wanna and i didn't listen to all of it but i heard a couple tracks but um to be honest i don't know i don't know like the way i I've been digesting music um, is very interesting and very odd in parallel to how the music industry has gone about releasing music because I feel like I need to really sit and live with music now the older I get and the music industry, the way it's set up, its current business model is to put as much out as quickly as possible before the consumer forgets about the product at all because there's so much of it. And with this album specifically, I didn't hate it, but like I said, I didn't hear all of it, but what I heard, I didn't hate. Uh, what I will say is that it isn't encouraging that artists keep putting out as much music as they are because it makes it seem like they don't have any pride or they're not put, putting any effort into the projects that they're releasing. And that's troublesome. With that being said, um, I'm not really trying to shit on the album. I'm just speaking from a more of a, uh, a uh, general perspective. But the album is cool. Uh, it has some dope songs. I can't remember the names of any of them. I was too lazy to write it down. Sorry, guys. But his album is everywhere, and you can go check it out. And... You know, that's pretty much it. I know that Red, um, Young M.A., she dropped a project. I forget what the name of it is. And honestly, to be perfectly honest, I just don't know what else came out. Like, I'm not checking for any new artists like that. Um, I've heard a couple of songs uh, like, oh, I think that the Roe, James and Miguel record that I played at the beginning is pretty new. That's called Too Much, by the way. And besides that, I mean, that's that's all I got for this week. So take it or leave it. Now, in terms of TV, I only watched three things this week. I watched Insecure, obviously, because we're rocking out for the whole season. I watched Avatar, The Last Airbender, because it just dropped on Netflix and everybody was talking about it already. I really wasn't going to watch it when everyone else started to watch it again. But I was like, you know what? I watch stuff that my peers speak on regularly. And if they're going to be talking about it in real time, then I might as well cover it when they're watching it. So I watched that. And my kind of sleeper pick for this week was Samurai Jack, the fifth season. And I chose to watch that because I wanted to watch something animated that was really well done first and foremost and I wanted to watch 
I wanted to watch it because I hadn't seen it before. So, yeah, those are my three things. To be perfectly honest, though, I didn't even get to finish Samurai Jack. So I guess I'll just start. I'll I'll start there because I'm kind of disappointed in myself. Uh, I didn't finish Avatar either, but I did finish the first book. So I do kind of have views and opinions about that. But I'll I'll start with Samurai Jack for the sake of me not having finished it. So I'll get it out the way. So first and foremost, the animation in Samurai Jack is absolutely fantastic. Like, I don't understand what type of bag that these creators and animators were in when they got the green lit green light for this series this season but clearly they were given all the freedom and or maybe not all the freedom but they were given room to be as specific to be as sharp to be as creative as they wanted to in terms of this animation because you don't see quality animation like this in television series like it's is mind-blowing and it's rightfully deserved for a series like Amari Jack that was beloved for my generation at the very least and you know followed a really good story that um maybe could be fleshed out more in a different medium but all in all, um, is something that held up through the test of time. Uh, outside of that, well, outside of that, I'll just say that the season basically focuses, it, it picks up about 20 years after season four, and Jack is basically stuck in the future, and he doesn't have his sword, and Haku has basically taken over all versions of time. So Jack is down on his luck. He's delirious. He's not aging. And now there is, and, you know, all the little side missions that he goes through um, throughout the show, or at least throughout this first episode, um, kind of reflect back onto the old season because it was like, oh, well, these are the adventures he's getting in while the major stories going on and when we get to season five it's more so like wow so the major story isn't really moving so these little stories are very entertaining they've always been but now it's like damn so what's the point of everything now and you kind of like get to relate to jack on that level and i think that's really dope and we get the introduction and we get the introduction of these female assassins who have been born and raised to kill Samurai Jack and their precision is excellent. And, um, you know, I really haven't seen anything like this in a while on an animated television series because it's mature and, uh, it's for me. So, uh, it's highly appreciated regardless of the fact. And, you know, Samurai, he's cutting, he's cutting through these girls, even though, even though he vows not to take human life, but he has no choice because Haku has human soldiers that he's using for his cause. So we follow that and the group of assassins ends up being um, reduced down to one. And we see the interaction that Jack has, with, uh, that she has with Jack and kind of her whole mentality about the, 
the samurai being the bane of everyone's existence and the downfall of everything that's going on, even though Haku is in control of everything. So she's just been misled and we see that unlayering happen before our eyes. And I'm basically up to the point where um, she's going to start helping him. And, you know, they get to the point where the um, wrap up this storyline and I hope it wraps up really well. I'm very excited for it and I'm going to continue to watch it. And I'm excited to see how it ends, to be honest. So that's just how I feel about Samurai Jack season five. But Avatar, uh, the first book, which is the Book of Water, is very long, I will say. It's very, very long, but it's very good. Um, Avatar definitely holds up. It's definitely as good and as important to my generation and generations after me, uh, in my opinion, because it's a very good story. Um, The creators took their time to build the world And it's even more baffling now watching it, going back to watch it, that they made a live action version of this film that was so terribly bad. It's actually mind blowing. Um, It it really doesn't make any sense to me how bad that was. And hopefully when Netflix gets around to producing their live action version of Avatar, it's on par with the quality that was put into the animated series. But the first book is very interesting because um, basically the whole point of the first book is that Aang needs to learn waterbending and he needs to go to the Northern Water Tribe to learn waterbending. And basically throughout this season, it takes a long time for them to get to the North Pole and they get into a lot of hijinks on the way where Katara learns to waterbend and she even finds a waterbending scroll. And by the end of the season, you know, we see, um, we see Aang go into this avatar state um, at the Northern water tribe to get rid of the fire nation. And basically by the end, it's like, well, Aang is going to be taught by Katara water and I kind of thought that that was like a little cheap because throughout the whole season I was like well why don't they just learn how to water bend together I don't really understand that and they had an episode in there that was kind of like that where Katara was teaching Aang and she was getting jealous of him because he was learning faster than her even though he's the avatar so I don't know why that would piss her off but That's what was happening. And then they kind of just didn't really go back to it after that. It was kind of like each of them were learning how to waterbend on their own. And I thought that was interesting because I thought that the purpose of these books were to show how they learn and grow as benders. And this first book doesn't really do that. It kind of does way more character development, which I'm not entirely too mad at, but I'm just calling a spade a spade right now. They didn't really learn. Well, Uh, scratch that Katara definitely learned how to be a better bender we see her start to inquire about her abilities more throughout their travels and we see her pick up new things like how she keeps the little capsule of water on her waist side and she'll you even use it during like 
small skirmishes that they get into as a group. But Aang, Aang, he kind of doesn't really bend until they get really close to the into the northern water tribe but regardless it was still a good season and it did an incredible job of setting up what was to come or what's to come in the future seasons um they just thinking back to what happens after all of these events um i would definitely say that this series had a lot to build upon for sure and it did a good job of it we'll see when um i start to watch the later books but just from what i remember i know that like man the concepts of this show really get uh developed in these second and third books and what benders can do and how characters act and how characters even change because you know uh all all of the characters in my personal opinion were very annoying at the beginning of the series and there's a reason why we all love them um especially somebody like Zuko who you know you would think that by the way he was introduced that he was going to be like the same archetypal villain that we see throughout these kind of shows where he just wants to kill the avatar or to get the avatar for his nation and to be risen to this type of pedestal and level of respect and yada, yada, yada. But in reality, that's not even what's happening here in the show. And what happens with his character moving on is really interesting. And I forgot that a lot of the stuff that um, sets up his transition as a character happens really early in the show. So um, I'm excited to keep watching. And that's that's my opinion on the first book. And finally, we'll close off this section with a little bit of Insecure. So this episode, while also being a filler... I want to add because a lot of people were upset with my take about last week's episode being a filler, but it was, it really was, but that's not really, uh, that's neither here nor there, but this week's episode was much better in my personal opinion. Uh, it followed Molly and Andrew going on a vacation, uh, a very interesting vacation, uh, a very interesting vacation might I add, but very uh, a much needed getaway for the two of them and for us even as fans to just see like how characters act outside of their typical ecosystems from the series. So like I said, um, well, let me just reverse a little bit. Molly and Molly is this, the show opens up with Molly and the Ethiopian spot that Issa was going to at the end of her episode. And we actually see from her perspective that she sees Issa coming and that she's preparing for Issa to walk in that instead she sees Issa turn around and walk away. And she takes this frustration to Andrew and Andrew's like, well, why are you mad that she doesn't want to talk to you? 
and why didn't you talk to her? And Molly's like, well, fuck that. I didn't do anything wrong. Andrew's like, I don't really care. We're about to go on vacation. And that's what they're focused on. So um, these two go on vacation with Andrew's brother and his um, brother's wife. And first and foremost, I just want to say that I wouldn't go on a vacation with my significant others, family members, if I didn't know them and already like hang out with them and feel a way, feel a positive way about them, because we'll get to that later. But it's the exact reason why. Um, so they go on vacation with Andrew's brother and his wife and everything seems fine at first. They, uh, they Andrew tells Molly before they get there, get to the resort that her his brother uh, usually likes to follow a very strict itinerary and get a bunch of stuff done while they're on vacation. And Molly's like, well, you know, what if we want to just chill and relax? Like, that's kind of the point of vacation. And Andrew's like, you know, just going with the floor of my brother is going to be easier that way rather than trying to change things. And we see that immediately as they get to the resort because the brother has everything set up, you know, massages and cigars and all of this. And Molly and Andrew really just want to go back to the room and just sleep off the flight and everything like that. So we get that character development with Andrew's brother. And then we move on and we see them all going to hike the next day where um, they get to the top of the mountain that they're climbing and they zip line down. So Molly, and to my knowledge, I would assume that this is something that Molly has never done before because of how she responded to it. She definitely had fun, but it it seemed like something that she was very new to. And it was, it was dope altogether. But what this episode showed me was that they, Andrew and Molly, uh, have very stark differences in terms of personality when it comes to like problem solving and how they deal with certain issues. We see that further along in this uh, in the episode when Molly is trying to get a towel for Andrew's brother's wife, and the concierge lady doesn't want to give Molly a towel because she needs to present her room key in order to get a towel and Molly takes it as a uh, racist. And I'm not really sure how to feel about this part of the episode to be perfectly honest, because Molly said that the white people before her didn't have to ask for a towel. And maybe I just needed to watch the episode again, but I didn't see any of that. Uh, so we see her argue and then Andrew's brother pulls up and he just, he presents the, the room key and she gives, uh, Molly the towel and then they get into a, an argument about race in the pool a heated argument where basically Molly ends up saying fuck you to Andrew's brother and it kind of ruins that dynamic for the rest of the vacation but Molly and Andrew um, end up spending time with each other and having a conversation about it the next day and just it shows that Andrew was like you know I talked to my brother and he apologized for everything and he was just saying that, like, he wasn't going to let it fester and ruin the vacation because that's just not how 
he does things. And I thought it was very indicative of how Molly and Issa's relationship was currently going because neither of them want to speak to each other. And the episode kind of ends there. They return. The end of the episode ends. The end of the episode uh, concludes with them returning to the airport and um, Molly running into Lawrence in the airport and as Lawrence is walking out the airport, he's giving someone a call and saying, Hey, I want to give a talk. I want to have, I want to talk to you. And, you know, it's kind of a cliffhanger and shout out to Lawrence or Jay Ellis rather who directed the episode because it was a wonderfully directed episode. I think it was one of Insecure's better episodes for sure. And I love when, uh, cast get to, um, spread their creative wings and, tap into different things that they would like to do on set specifically with directing and all in all i thought it was a good episode it served the same purpose as Issa's solo episode but i felt like it was more entertaining to watch and all in all sorry i'm coughing on the mic guys i don't know what's going on got the coronavirus but um Yeah, that's pretty much all I have with TV for this week. Now, this week, I decided to watch two films. I I decided to watch The Black Godfather, and I decided to watch Django Unchained. Now, I have a lot of notes on Django Unchained, and I have a lot of thoughts about The Black Godfather. So I'm, I'm I'm a little conflicted, but... All in all, I think that my the priority of my focus is towards Django Unchained. But I do want to speak on um, The Black Godfather just a bit because I watched it very recently. And I thought it was very profound that a black man was able to achieve what Clarence Avant was able to achieve in America at the time that he did. And that he was able to become such an influential figure in the world of, you know, just black music and film and politics is insane. So the black Godfather is a story of story of Clarence Avant. Um, he had his hand in everything. Like I said, music, film, politics, uh, he made people successful. He brought together black society as we know it. Um, a lot of collaborators and collaborations and people who work towards moving the culture forward kind of stem from his influence and his family tree. And I don't even really know what to call him, but he's worked with everyone. Uh, this uh, this documentary, which is uh, called The Black Godfather, and it's on Netflix, is really amazing because you really go through his story and he walks you through it and you just see him talk about how he makes these business deals and how he was be able to stay connected with all of these major white folks at a time where, you know, that just wasn't happening. And the reason, the main reason for this was because he had connections to, um, organized crime and, the best way that they put it on the series was basically that uh, prohibition had created 
in an an industry for alcohol where you know you had to um where it was like funding the underground night series and all of these clubs and everything and then once the alcohol became legal you know you had all of these institutions and you had all of these business rules that could be legitimized so a lot of public or excuse me a lot of organized crime uh became legitimized because the thing that they were doing that was illegal became legal so i think that his ties and him being born around that era really helped uh fine-tune and develop his connections and how he decided to go about things he's from my hometown of north new jersey uh well he's not from north new jersey but he got his start in north new jersey um you know managing a club and uh you know it's a very influential story and it just shows how black people could really have their pulse on the culture and really do whatever they need to to move things forward um no matter what generation because people like to say that uh one generation was more influential or more woke or more this or that and it's just important for us to remember our history in general and that's pretty much that on that i will recommend everybody to go watch that because it's pretty dope and it's very informative and it's inspiring but this week's film of choice was django unchained a 2012 film by none other than quentin tarantino one of our favorite directors i think that django unchained if you would even call it this which i would is possibly one of the greatest slave movies of all time uh just because of how slaves are portrayed in terms of how intelligent they are and um what they do for the story and the world that it basically that he that tarantino creates in order to move the plot forward and move these characters forward but it's an amazing film nonetheless um i was very excited much more than I was expect, expecting to be watching this film because of the phenomenal acting. Jamie Foxx, like his development of Django from the beginning of the film to the end of the film. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio uh, towards the, well, in the second half of the film is phenomenal. Um, Kerry Washington is great and, you know, this role specifically for her just showed me that she really is a fantastic actor because I see a lot of people get at her on social media about the faces that she makes, but she really gets into a character I'm noticing when I'm watching her work in different things. Um, and it's a method that she goes about. And I thought that was, I thought that was very interesting seeing that. And, um, who else? Christoph Waltz, I believe his his name is the um, the bounty hunter that trains Django. He was great as well. Um, definitely a source of comedy and wit, and him just showing Django the ropes was very important because it's the anchor of the entire film. I love this film, honestly. It's probably I would say that it's definitely. Um, a top five Quentin Tarantino film. Um, yeah, Christoph Waltz. 
Yeah, it's definitely a top five Quentin Tarantino film, and it deserves all the love and praise. So let's just get to it. Um, the movie is set two years before the Civil War, so I think that that's just to show that there is a very major transition that's brewing in America. Um, because you know, if this was set any more further in the past, then I think that it would have been a little bit more unrealistic. Um, even though a lot of parts, you know, you're like, obviously this is for movie, but nonetheless, um, I think that this was Tarantino's first shot at a Western and even this in comparison to like the hateful eight, which is more of a serious Western and more of like a whodunit type of scenario in a film. I think that this film is better because it's more animated and it kind of like captures it captures more of the style of the Western, the mainstream Western rather than um, the niche uh, specific to the genre styles that, you know, the casual moviegoer would maybe catch. I don't think that a lot of those things were present in this film, maybe more so in The Hateful Eight, though. Um, but yeah, like I said, Jamie Foxx's character development in this film is phenomenal. Uh, we see him go from literally a nappy headed slave to a sophisticated, uh, marksman and, uh, shit, he's just good. Like he makes everything look cool. Um, the brittle brother scene, uh, when they get to the plantation is incredible. Him just, whipping the white slave uh white slaver and you know Christoph Waltz's character shooting down the guy from across the slave field and the blood splattering on a cotton that's an iconic shot man there's so many great things about this movie uh what else it was interesting another interesting that thing that i noticed was that when the slave master approached them on the plantation after this had all happened he had black slaves behind him with guns who were like ready to shoot these guys down. And I just thought that was very, um, I thought that showed how the mindset of like house slaves at the time and, um, how they were trained to, you know, do anything, uh, for their massa. But I just thought that was an interesting thing to point out. And, um, the scene after this where the white men, basically who are Klansmen, uh, go after the uh, trolley that they're traveling in, uh, that they were traveling in previously was hilarious. Jonah Hill is, is, is funny for the brief moment that he's in this and the whole criticize, criticize, criticize with the holes and the bags and everything like that. That was a great comic relief. The comic relief in this film was um, either very large, like how it was in that scene, or it's very subtle. And I like that about this film because it wasn't overtly comedic or it wasn't overtly dark. Um, it kind of balanced out all of those themes. And um, it's it gets me very like Pulp Fiction um, with uh, Jackie Brown vibes. I don't know why I align it with the likes of those films but it's of that style to me i don't really know how to explain it uh very complex story um everything gets tied together i guess that's why but that's just how i feel about it 
Um, what else do we have? Then uh, the the winter montage was very great because it just shows that um, the bounty hunter was putting effort into building a relationship with Django, and he saw uh, he felt his plight, and he saw that he was determined to do what he needed to do it to get his wife back. So seeing them grow together, um, seeing them their bond grow together, even though it wasn't really a montage of them growing together as a bond, it was more so a montage of Django just becoming an expert and a cowboy. But as the winter ended and they returned to Mississippi to sort of get a trail on how they were going to get to um, Candyland, uh, it was a stark reminder of the uh, time that they were living in because Mississippi was just, it was just dark. It was slaves everywhere. It's dirty. And, um, you know, you know, you got this story about the magical nigga who becomes a cowboy and rescues his wife, but we still, it's still set in this world where slavery is a real thing. And, you know, you can't really shake that when watching this film. And I applaud Quentin Tarantino for that because he could have made it where it's like, slavery is kind of just a backdrop and it doesn't really feel like a backdrop in this film it feels like an integral part of the story and it feels uh and it's a very important thing that tethers the characters to the story and the narrative um what else we got leo's introduction in this film is amazing with the uh, mandingo fighting and his opening lines and basically everything that happens after Leonardo DiCaprio is introduced in this film uh, just goes up a notch and the first half of this film and the second half of this film feel starkly different for some reason not different but um, the first half of this film is very good in quality and the second half, after Leo is introduced and after Sam Jackson is introduced, is phenomenal. It's fantastic. Like, you have already have these two amazing actors interacting on the screen. And then you introduce two more heavy hitters who just knock it out the park and create an insane ensemble of characters who are interacting in these um, small settings. And um, it sets up the climax of the film perfectly and Samuel Jackson his interaction with everyone is just outstanding and he does what he needs to do when he comes to work especially when it comes to a Tarantino film so I appreciated that for sure and um that's pretty much it you know like I love this film I love Tarantino films I can't wait and I can't wait for his next film even though I haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So I think that I'll give myself a homework assignment and go and watch that um, to review here for you guys. But that's pretty much it. You know, uh, it's been it's been another week of staying inside. I know that everybody's going outside as if the pandemic is over, but the pandemic isn't over. And regardless of if regardless of if or i don't know how to say that i'm sorry guys i'm sorry i'm embarrassed but uh regardless of if you are inside or outside just remember to please still wear masks 
remember to please still wash your hands 20 seconds um if you're not going to social distance just make sure nobody's closer to you than they have to be you know like we should have learned new lessons about personal space and cleanliness through this pandemic and I don't know about y'all but I'm holding myself accountable to these new habits and yeah oh and one thing I want to talk about before we get out of here uh really quickly is the tenant trailer um the tenant trailer was insane uh I can't wait to see it uh Denzel Washington's son John David Washington he looks like a very suitable main character for this film I'm glad that Christopher Nolan finally has a movie with a black lead. Uh, so I'll probably be able to catch this when, with my, uh, when I listen to some of my other favorite podcasters who review films and stuff like that. Shout out to black men who can't jump in Hollywood. Uh, and um, Robert Pattinson is in this movie too. And who else? There's a couple of people. There's a couple of good this this cast is pretty dope, but I just wanted to talk about talk about that tenant trailer really quickly because I was very excited, and I posted it on the um, the podcast, uh, Twitter account. But like I say every week, send topics, questions, movie and music suggestions. Follow the podcast on Twitter at vs mike history, and on Instagram at versus mike history. Follow me on Twitter at mike history. And follow me on Instagram at last name history. And of course, you can get everything versus Mike history related at versus Mike history dot com. That's playlists. Um, that's episodes. That's the design of the week. That's events. When we get events, that's merch. When we get merch um, and any and everything in between. So it's been nice talking to you guys again. We will reconvene next week. And I can't wait to get this equipment in because I really need guests on this show, man. I really want to talk to people. Uh, I don't know if y'all are tired of hearing me talk about talk by myself or talk to myself, but I'm tired of it. It's been enough weeks, so that's basically all I got to say about it. But it's been an, it's been a nice one. It's been a nice run, and I'll catch you guys next week. Bye, guys. <laughs>